0: Welcome to Your Brain On by Salience Learning. I'm Karen Foster.
1: And I'm Krista Gerhard. This is part two of our three-part series with Dr. Barbara Oakley. Enjoy.
0: A lot of us don't have awareness of what works from a learning perspective, right? You mentioned many people reread information and many learning curriculum are designed with, in the professional world, you know, a day's sessions of training or two days of training, bulk, very heavy, you know, not spaced, very little breaks for those opportunities for the brain to pause and come back. Um, And so I think when I took the learning how to learn course, what, what was so... Uh, empowering and applicable from a salient standpoint was all the little techniques that are mentioned and how we try to design our curriculums and our experiences to allow for uh, that elaborative practice, right? So ideas are connected, and you're building what you said is the neural net, right? Of mm-hmm. ideas, and using metaphors uh, to, you know, take advantage of established neural nets and and basically tack new concepts onto them so they become stickier. Uh, yes. So some of those those concepts in your learning how to learn course are not only what at Salience we try to embody in our instructional approaches, but teach others about so that we can continue to almost teach a person how to fish from an analogy standpoint, rather than continuing to give them a fish. And especially for the learners in our population who are inundated with explosion of scientific information, changing business models, so much uh, information to change. Right, it, it, without the the skills and techniques you mentioned to learn more efficiently and effectively, they become just overwhelmed, right, it, and don't have that appropriate skills to digest a you know, two or three pages worth of scientific rich information efficiently and effectively. In your experience, have you seen a gradual change in an openness to, to brain-based learning? I'd love to hear how you've seen the receptivity as you know, your mock has been so well viewed and so forth. What's been your thoughts on that?
2: Well, it's it's interesting because the reception of our first initial, you know, the Learning How to Learn course has been so overwhelming, and it's continued year after year. It's just, you know, if anything, it seems to grow. And um, so the, the reception has always been there amongst the general population. In educational settings, as in higher academia, it, it's been a harder row to hold. And I I think part of that is if people are, you know, their entire careers are dedicated to a certain approach, it's really, really tough for them to say, no, a lot of my past work is really misguided and wrong. It's easier to just kind of close your eyes and keep sailing blithely forward. (laughs) There are some major universities that still, I mean, like their teaching colleges have like virtually nothing to do with neuroscience. Um, I think it will be a wonderful thing as I've seen a couple of colleges begin to add things. Um, so but as that um, becomes um, you know, more common to incorporate uh, neuroscience into education, that will be a real blessing because in the long run, all teachers should know something about how the brain works because there's so much there to help guide and inform your teaching. For example, differences in working memory capacity. There's, there's, you're gonna have people in one classroom that have like between three and 10, you know, slots of working memory. They can have lesser or greater working memory capacity. How do you teach all of these students at once? There's ways to do it. It, but if you're aware, if you're aware of the working memory capacity, that can be almost more helpful than any other factor um, you know in informing your teaching. But I do have to allude to something you brought up about uh, boot camps or you know uh, intense learning experiences. I mean, those can can be good, but actually, I think that's an indicator of the importance of online learning because you can only get an instructor and a group of people together if they happen to be in a local area. And much of what we do in many businesses today is, you know, it's very distributed. So this is where, you know, I think a lot of companies have this experience where they, they feel that they have to do boot camps because they've always done it. People like them. Because even if they're really tedious during the day, you get to party. You can go, you know, they, you have these wonderful uh, boot camps in Brazil or whatever. So it's it's like a it's a, it's a nice thing it's good that they give them, but they're actually much less efficient at you know at actually providing the knowledge that people need, and and providing it in a way that sticks. So there there was one of my favorite athletes of all time is Julius Iago. And Julius um, always wanted to learn to th- throw the javelin, but he was from Kenya. He wasn't wealthy. He couldn't afford to get a coach or, you know, go overseas. There were no ki- javelin throwing coaches in Kenya. So we just started watching YouTube and going out and practicing. And 99% of the time, just by doing that, he became the world champion in throwing the javelin. So, you know, this is really a lesson for all of us. I mean, first thing you would say, oh, well, you know, you can't learn a sport online. And then, of course, once you learn that somebody can become world-class at learning a sport online, you go, oh, well, yeah, but that's just a sport. You can't learn anything mental. (laughs) You know, it's just so funny. But you can learn both mentally, mental activities and physical activities incredibly well online because it facilitates that spaced repetition, you know, interleaving and all sorts of things. So, you know, online learning, I think, uh for businesses is a real it's a it's cost effective it does a better
1: job and you know what what more could you ask for? I think it's a really interesting point with regards to the shift that we've seen in the marketplace, specifically with regards to life sciences and how COVID-19 really accelerated people's change in view of these things. Because to your point these boot camp sessions, these live meetings where everybody came together, it was you know for culture, it's for team building, and yes, it is for training as well. And it allows them to carve out a time where they they get come together and they focus truly on learning. But to your point, where the real learning comes is when you get to apply it right day in and day out on the job. So this concept of incorporating blended learning with some sort of digital component along with the live component has really resonated. And especially in this environment, people are craving a bit more so than ever to be live with their teams. But it's also allowing them to appreciate how they can leverage their digital learning opportunities to set up that live learning experience so that when they do come together, it is for application. It allows them to move forward in some component when they're on the job, you know, trying to demonstrate these skills. So, you know, I think it's important for everybody to just take a moment and appreciate how hard this all is. I was actually surprised when you said that universities are not really incorporating, you know, these techniques and in, in, in cognitive science into the way that they're teaching or acknowledging it. And we thought it was really just in the corporate world. It wasn't sort of pervasive. And uh, I, I think what you do and how you can help adults individually say it's okay to not have all the answers, but to figure out a way that makes sense and give them the tools and strategies that they can use on their day-to-day jobs to be able to be more proficient. You know, Karen mentioned a lot about with regards to the advancements in life sciences, the advancements in technology that they're all facing, the way they're, their worlds are changing because of the shifts in the marketplace, in their organizations. Mm-hmm. So how, as a learner, can they become more efficient and successful in their roles through the process of learning how to learn? I'd be curious a little bit more with regards to your course itself and, and some of the techniques that they they may be able to walk away from uh, with that, that ability to apply within their roles as it relates to the learning how to learn course. So it surprised me. So I was
2: giving a speech for one major company, and they, um, I said, you know, we were going over the materials, and I I have ma- material on the Pomodoro technique, and I said, you know, everybody knows this, let's throw this out, you know, because it was very, we had a very limited time, and they're and they're like, what's the Pomodoro technique? And I thought, oh. You know, this was amazing. You know, these were learning specialists. So uh so it's it's surprising. I think that that people who are um there are always people in companies who are like the scouts. They go out and they scavenge and they're looking for interesting new learning things. And you know they're the ones who are taking MOOCs, reading interesting and relevant books. Um, and these scouts will they almost always know about the Pomodoro technique. But those who are you know have different approaches to things, you know, for example, they may be much more centered on on their job and getting their job, you know, doing it right and and you know focus like a pencil sharp beam um, on that. They often don't know these kinds of techniques and the Pomodoro technique, anyway, growing from learning how to learn, I I have learned that people just absolutely, that is their number one. They love this technique. And I, I mean, I get emails. You know, every day practically saying oh, you know I took your learning to learn oh, and by the way this Pomodoro technique is just so fantastic I finished my doctoral dissertation I I was flunking from engineering school and I now I've, I'm on the Dean's list you know all this kind of thing so what is the Pomodoro technique? so simple um, that you don't hear about it because it's pretty tough to market and make money off of. Uh, it's it was invented by who I think is an absolutely brilliant uh, man, uh, Francesco Cirillo, in the 1980s, to do a Pomodoro in, his, in its essence, and he's written much more about it. But all you need to do is put away all disruptions. Uh, so like no pop-ups on your computer or your cell phone, Um, I mean, good luck if you've got a two-year-old, so I I will grant you that. But uh, do your best to try to get distraction out of the picture. And then uh, set a timer for 25 minutes and focus as intently as you can for those 25 minutes. Then when you're done for about five minutes, take a mental break. This does not mean go to your cell phone and check your text messages because you'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'm looking. Oh, wait, no, I got this. Right. And then next thing you know, you're focusing on responding to the text message. So by break, I mean something like oh, you you know have a have a cup of tea, walk around a little bit, you know maybe uh, listen to some music, something that relaxes. And what this does, if you'll remember. This is kind of like focus mode, diffuse mode. You're giving your diffuse mode a little bit of a chance you know, to work in the background on the materials. And if you're focusing while you're trying to take that break, you will overwrite some of the material you just learned. So you make your learning harder. And taking breaks at about that time frame, and no one has really studied it super carefully. But uh, it, we do know that after about 15 minutes or so, the hippocampus seems to get a little bit full, or you know, and it's it's actually the hippocampus is more like a little indexing mechanism. Uh, but what what it's doing is, for example, when I'm speaking here about something, your hippocampus is like its little neurons make connections; their dendritic spines are just like. will sprout out so fast that hippocampus is just like so quick and glib and it just can remember stuff it's really that way and your neocortex is listening at the same time but the neocortex is kind of going huh you know what to say it's got super weak connections of that learning so when you have that little five minute break what's happening is no input your hippocampus can in essence turn from working memory to instead face the long-term memory in neocortex. And what it's doing is it's kind of going, hey, hey, look, neocortex. Remember, this is what you're supposed to be linking up solidly, and it will be reminding and building those those um, neural connections during that break. If you don't take breaks, your, your hippocampus doesn't have a chance to do that. But this also is a little bit of an indication why cramming can seem to be effective. Because your hippocampus can, it, it really can kind of absorb a lot of stuff. So if you're cramming it all in, but it, if it doesn't have a chance to turn around and offload into the long-term memory, you will not retain it. So that's that situation where a student will cram last minute for a test, Appear to do well, but then two weeks later, they've completely forgotten the material.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Brain On. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Krista Gerhard. And I'm Karen Foster. And we'll see you next time.